So in John 5, it's a, it's a longer chapter. We've got to keep some context here while it's going on. Jesus has gone up to Jerusalem after doing some healings up in Capernaum in Galilee. Remember, he healed the, the official's uh, son. And then right after that, he comes down into Jerusalem, but not down into Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, because it's always up to Jerusalem. It's on a hill. But he goes there because it's one of the big festivals. And that's either going to be the, the, the Feast of, of First Fruits or the Feast of uh, that, that being Passover uh, or the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Tabernacles. It's not specified here, but the fact that it's a feast means that it's mandatory for all Israelites to come to Jerusalem. So he's got a big crowd. Everything that's going on here, think just massive crowds that are circling around him. And especially those that end up kind of circling into Jesus end up being the Bible scholars, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, those that seem to have a vested interest in the power place of Jerusalem, but, but also can't help but be intrigued by this Jesus. And especially this Jesus who's doing some wild miracles. And the miracle that he's just done is he took a dude who for 38 years lay lame by the side of the pool and he's able to come by and a man that has never had any hope and with a word take him from that place to now walking and having a brand new life. An undeniable miracle walking around in the temple area during this mashup of human beings that are there and are going to begin to realize this Jesus has got something going on. Now, this thing that's going on is a threat to a lot of people. And as a threat, they now start to kind of crush in on Jesus, trying to wonder, hey, by what authority? How is it that, that you've got this validity to, to be able to do these things? And, and so in John 5, where we're going to find ourselves now in verse 31, he's going to kind of lay out why it is that he's got this validity, why he's got this street cred, so to speak, to be able to do what he does and say what he says, because what he says is anything but peaceful. What he says is a bomb of mind-melting explosion that he is laying out there amongst them, that everything that you understood about how you try to figure out you and God, you might as well just put aside right now and start over with me. And, and so with that, now he's trying to tell them why it is that he has this kind of authority. Now, here we go. We're going to be in verse 31. If I testify about myself, and, and why is he even saying this? It's like, what's your testimony? What's your, what's your kind of ability to do these things? Why is it that you are assuming such authority? As I've mentioned before, it's kind of like one of you deciding randomly to go into, let's say, Washington, D.C., and set up a, a little shop and saying that, okay, I'm going to issue you passports for the United States of America. After a minute or two, that would get the attention of some folks. And Jesus here is saying, I'm the one who brings you eternal life. I'm the one that gives you salvation. I'm the one that brings the forgiveness of sins. I'm the one that reconciles you to God in the middle of well, the mall of Washington, D.C., which is the temple courts in Jerusalem, that's going to get their attention. And they're going to be like, all right, what, what is it that says that you can do this? So again, keep that in mind here. 
So, because he was, uh, I'm sorry, if I testify about myself, or that is if I provide corroborating evidence, is, is another way to put that, my, my testimony's not true, if it's just me. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. This is JTB John, John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who really, I mean, talk about a dude with street cred. He's got it going on. Not just because he brings the word of God so courageously, but because his life was unimpeachable. So much so that the crowds went all the way down into the middle of a ornery desert in order to hear his word and to really get after repentance as brought by the Holy Spirit through him and ultimately even a place of reconciliation to God. And it was his life as well as his words that really caught their attention. So for Jesus to say, all right, this is not just me making these claims. There's somebody that you respect who is saying these things too. The dude that you went out to go see in the desert, the guy that you're enthralled with, the guy that you've actually held up as, wow, there's new hope for Israel. That guy, that guy, he's got me. All right, so that's John. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you might be saved. And I love the way Jesus says this. He's like, look, I, I don't even need John. The only reason I'm even including John in this, I just kind of mention it because, hey, maybe it'll give you a leg up. And I want you to be saved. But I really do, even though you're annoying. I, I really do want you to be saved. I, I, I love you to death. But, hey... It, by the way, hold on to John if that helps. But there's something bigger than John coming. And he says, John was a lamp that burned and gave light. That's right. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. So now he's got something more than just his own testimony and John's testimony. Now he's got, check out the miracles. And, and those, those corroborate. I just healed a guy 38 years lame. Before that, I healed the, the son of, a, of, a, of an official who had no hope. Before that, I turned water into wine. Let's see you do that. You know what I'm going to do in a minute? I'm going to go walk on water. That's the next chapter. Oh, and then after that, there are going to be throngs of people that have nowhere to go and stuck without food. And I'm going to feed them all with just a couple loaves and a couple fish. And then I'm going to heal a blind man that was born blind from birth right here in this very spot. It's coming up in a few chapters. And then after that, I'm going to really blow your mind. This buddy Lazarus that's hanging out over here, he's going to be dead four days. And I'm going to raise him to new life. Amen. And then there's something coming later that involves me and resurrection. But I'll wait and let you know about that a little later on. Right? I mean, I mean, this is, these are the works that are before you as well. And you're going to try and deny those. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice. He's talking to the kind of the Bible scholars here. You've never heard his voice. You've not seen his form. 
nor does his word dwell in you. Why? That's a pretty bold statement. Why? Because you don't believe in me, Jesus says. You don't believe in the one he sent. And then this next phrase is a difficult one, just because we don't know which way to uh, translate it. And probably every one of your Bibles has to give you a footnote because it is literally a toss-up of which way to go here. Here he says, you study the scriptures diligently. It is exactly the same form as if he said to them, go study the scriptures diligently. And so we don't know which it is. And maybe he kind of means it both. Maybe he says you do study the scriptures diligently, but study the scriptures diligently. Why? Because you think in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Okay, so now it's not just what I'm saying. It's not just what John the Baptist is saying. It's not just what all of these miracles have opened your eyes to see. But everything that you love in the very scriptures themselves, they also point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. I don't accept glory from human beings, but... I know you do. I know you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I've come in my Father's name, and you don't accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory from the only God? But do not think, I will accuse you before the Father, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, well, how are you going to believe what I say? Now, if, if you're a Bible expert and sitting hearing this, how hard is this for you to hear? And I think even for me, when I was in my 20s and starting to read the Bible, you know, at 22, I... I mentioned this, but I went through a series of Bible studies with ministers and with one main minister and really thought I was coming to a place where I would receive and accept the Bible. And I realized that my life wasn't matching up. So then again, fits and starts over time, started to really look to study the Bible more. And I remember when I was maybe 28, 29 or so, I actually set the goal that I would really read the Bible, learn the Bible. and. But I don't think it was because I deeply, dearly wanted to know Jesus. I mean, I was interested to know Jesus, but not like I wanted to go all in and have Jesus fully guide my life. But that's what coming to him means that Jesus says here. And we have to face some, some really intense standards that Jesus is putting out here about who he is and the evidence for him. So the title of my sermon today is Verified. And those of you who are fans of social media know what that little check mark means. Oh, if you could only have that check mark. Oh, if you were among the few, the verified, the wonderful. But Jesus is that and then some. In all of the right ways, by all of the right authorities, by all of the right evidences. And as we consider the fact that he's verified, I wanna look at it from, from three angles today. And, and first of all, as I've kind of mentioned a bit already, he is verified. He's verified by JTB, 
He's verified by his works. He's verified by the Father. And he's verified by the Bible, by Moses, by, by all that is written here. And that's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a big deal because rather than judging the Bible by our own standards, what he's saying now is that we need to allow the Bible to judge our standards. That we can't sit in judgment as, as I imagine those folks were doing. Is they would maybe read the Bible, but, but to what end? For, for, for what reason? But never coming to a place where they allowed the verification of Jesus to really hit home. And to appreciate the depth of what Jesus is saying here. You know, Jesus is saying that the Father has testified concerning me. But yet, he's saying this to a people who have never heard God's voice or never seen God's form. Certainly, the prophetic word had gone dark in Israel until the coming of John the Baptist. But how is it, though, that they had heard God's voice or seen God's form? Having not seen, heard his voice or seen his form, how is it, though, that he can say, you have the testimony of God? You have the word of God because they have the Bible. And as a matter of fact, Jesus and scriptures beyond Jesus and his followers affirm that the Bible, rather than just being kind of a helpful guide, the Bible is so very much more. The Bible is the very effort of God to reach you. You have to think of the Bible one of two ways. Either it's the word of man trying to seek God, or it's the word of God trying to seek men and women. That's a massive difference. And those things are mutually exclusive. But if you understand this to be the very words of God trying to find you versus the words of men trying to find God, everything turns upside down. And you begin to kind of even approach it with awe. But I know that there's plenty of times where I don't. And there are plenty of times where it's just kind of checkbox time as I go into it. And I'll talk about that at the end. But, but for right now, I just want us to be amazed of what Jesus says here. You have the testimony of the Father. You have it. But I think in this day and age, we're all consumers. Every one of us has got a consumer mentality living where we live and having access to that which we have access. I mean, if I, if I see something that I like in a store, let's say it's a pair of shoes, I don't buy them. Why? Because I'm going to go online. And I'm going to make sure they have just the right size, just the right width, just the right sole, just the right color. And it's going to be absolutely just custom made for me. I'm not just going to buy whatever is available in a retail store that anybody could walk into. No, I'm special. And I need to have this brought to me in just the right way that fits my needs. Because if I'm going to buy into something, you know, I want this thing to be for, for, for the long haul. And you know what? I bring that attitude to the Bible. And it's the worst. It's, it's almost like, yeah, I got the Bible. And I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to do the right things. But then there's part of me that thinks, hey, God, and I even pray this, right? I, whether they're appropriate or not. Hey, God, it's cool that we got the Bible and all. But how about if you just kind of 
customize a little message my way. And you know, here's the drop down menu and here's everything that I would like is that it would, it would clearly be something that I could remember. It kind of builds my faith. It's not really a condemning message that you're gonna bring my way. It's more of an affirming message that we're right and we get after the mission and that we're gonna conquer and that we're unstoppable and what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Something like that, God. And don't overwhelm me with all that kind of crazy bright light stuff too much. Maybe a little bit, you know, a little kind of light show would be cool. But, but, but just enough, I don't want to fall dead like those Roman guards did, like when you, when you appear. And, and I think, you know, if I had that, if I had that, whoa, whoa, you watch me follow Jesus then. And what Jesus is saying here is, you got something better than that. But because it's not custom to me, that's the, the, the sadness of it. Because it's not custom to me, I don't value it as something better than that. You know, the, the guys that are following him here that include Peter, you know, there's something that, that, that Peter says. And in, in his uh, letter, this is something that he writes. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in power. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father. And, and he was here for this. Peter was here for this. When the voice to him came from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, that's a pretty cool custom experience, right? And you think, well, sure, Peter, James, John, you all had that. John, who wrote this gospel, you had that. And if I had that, yeah, you, you watch my walk then. But here's what he says right after that, which puts me in my place, and I hopefully puts the Bible in its place for all of us. He says, but we also have the message of prophecy as something more fully confirmed. Do you, do you get the, the contrast here? He's saying that the words of the Bible are more fully confirmed for him, for James, for John, than when the three of them heard the voice come from heaven, thunder through the heavens to them on the top of that great mount of transfiguration and say, this is my son, I'm well pleased, listen to him. But then he says, we would do, we would do well to pay attention to this because it is more fully confirmed. That's the attitude of people who saw the light show, who heard the voice, who were given the charge, who had the custom made message. Their, their message to us is, this is more fully confirmed. Look at what we've got here. This is amazing that, that this is ours. How about even what, what, what Peter himself will, I'm sorry, what uh, Paul will say when, when he has a, a chance to explain the word of God. He says in Galatians chapter 1, that was 2 Peter 1, by the way, uh, where I was just then. But this is what, what he says. We don't want you to be uninformed. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion or trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen to what he says here. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. 
Again, I say to you, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than that what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. All right, so picture it, because this is what he's saying here. Paul's like, okay, if I'm here and I'm in one of the churches of Galatia and I'm bringing the word of God to you, and then suddenly an angel swoops down, kicks me to the curb, or I just fall, you know, kind of paralyzed from that. And then the angel of God descends and brings you a message. If that message doesn't line up with the gospel, well, then you're to tell the angel, shut up. Why? Because the vision, the glory, the signs, the wonders don't stand in judgment of the scriptures. The scriptures stand in judgment of the signs and the visions and the wonders and the angels. That's what a big deal this is. That even if an angel would plop down here and start to finish off the sermon, and how cool would that be? But if I or that angel veer away from the clarity of the gospel, which you know by the words that have been accepted in the gospel, well then this is what judges him or, or, or the angel or, or me or anybody else. Like that's what a big deal it is that we've got in our hands right here. How beautiful is this? How great is this? That we have an account that allows us to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have an account that allows us to know Jesus Christ. We have an account that allows us to love God and have the love of God in our hearts. To fear the Lord and to have a fear that is transcended by a love that, that actually then eclipses that fear. And brings us into a relationship that is wondrous and, and, and beautiful. That's what we have here in the scriptures. This is an amazing thing that Jesus confirms. And, and I love how... Uh, even when, when Jesus kind of brings that, this home to them, that, that he says that these, these words, these words are the very words of eternal life. These words. It's so easy to think, but if I had the experience, if I had the custom experience, if I, no, this, this is what we need. And yet to this crowd, he says, but you're not listening. Even though it's verified, you're not listening. And why is it that they don't follow and we don't follow? Follow is no anemic term like casually checking in on somebody on social media. Follow is all in. Follow is surrender. Follow is humility. In, in the technical term of the New Testament, to really come to Jesus as he says in chapter 5, verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Life is in him. And, and to come to him is repentance. And it's interesting, in the Gospel of John, the word repentance isn't used. But this idea of coming to Jesus is actually the same thing. Repentance isn't what you do in order to come to the Lord. Repentance is coming to the Lord. It's abandoning all the other paths that we've taken in life and coming to the Lord. But why don't we? And, and he says why here. He says it rather clearly. There's, there's a lot of stuff that he says about this. I mean, he says, there's no love of God in you. You're more impressed by men. You accept glory from each other. You're not accept, seeking glory from God. And you don't really believe Moses and the Old Testament. And so for, for this crowd, I think the essence of what he's saying here is, is that easily enough, someone else comes in their own name 
you're gonna accept that person if he kinda makes you feel good. And also, you're happy to get accommodations or verification or affirmation or uh, being received well by, by one another, but what about by God? And, and here's the, the hard thing that I had to wrestle with when I, when I really decided to, to buckle down and see if I wanted to follow God at, at the age of 29, just the other day, really. And, <laughs> and uh, is that, was I studying the scriptures to really come to Jesus? Or was I studying the scriptures to be thought of more highly by my peer group? Because I started to hang out with a peer group that was no longer wretched, retching party animals. And I didn't have to worry about Jesus when that was my friend group. But you grow up and you move to a suburb and suddenly blackout drunk doesn't look so good. And other people are going to church and other managers at the company uh, seem to have some sort of a moral compass about them. Thought, well, maybe I better look at the scriptures. But it wasn't because, wow, Jesus is so compelling. It was, maybe I need to freshen up my act a bit here. And, and, and maybe I need to look a little better in all the right places so that my ascendancy up the corporate ladder or up the social ladder in the neighborhood or the country club would not be hindered at all by the nastiness that is really me. And, and so I began to study the scriptures. But at some point I got confronted by the idea that that's what I was doing. And there, I mean, there's, there's plenty of ways even to be kind of deep in your walk in Jesus, but to not actually have come to him because you've decided to go to other people. And how is it that you go to other people? Well, you're, you're happy to receive praise from other people, accommodations from other people, acceptance by, by, by other people, and honor and glory from other people. Maybe it's your buddies that, in high school, middle school. It's treacherous waters. I, I, I get it. I, I don't get it necessarily because I would have been one of those people that would have been pressuring you to never say anything about Jesus if I were in your middle school or your high school. And, but I'm the poor for that. And, and I wish dearly I could turn back the clock and to have that experience the other way because my experience was emptiness. And it was really just liquid glory that was induced by alcohol. It was boldness from beer. And it, and it wasn't based on a purpose. I wish I could have had that then. You have that, you have that glory, you have that honor. You have that alignment with Christ, you have that in following Christ. Don't cash it in by wanting the validation of your friends. If at your workplace, on your ship, in your neighborhood, if there's something about the acceptance and the standing that you have with that group that is keeping you from following Jesus, then what Jesus is saying to these guys begins to apply to us. And, and these are the things that he says. The love of God is not in you. That you value glory from men more than the infinite glory that God has here to give you. And that you don't actually believe the Bible. 
Oh, no, but I do believe the Bible, but I do love God. Well, then that can't be unlinked from having come to Jesus and now living as his disciple. If there's sexual immorality, if there is, I mean, per pervasive, rampant, repetitive sins that have gone on in your life after having come to Jesus, let me maybe ask you to consider, did you really come to Jesus? Just put a timeline on your, on your life. And, and for me, if I thought I came to Jesus at 22. And if I put the timeline, you know, a mark on my timeline at 22, that's when I came to Jesus, verse 40. If that's when I came, then why after that on the timeline is this mountain of mess that keeps falling upon it like so much garbage, drunkenness, immorality, pornography, lustfulness, masturbation, lies, all kinds of corruption that, that, that's going, going on there. Why is all of that afterwards? If I'm a believer in the word of God, aligned with Jesus, I've come to Jesus. I now have life. I've turned the corner. Why, why is that all now coming after that event? And here's what I had to come grips with. I hadn't really come to Jesus. I hadn't really decided to make the scriptures my standard. I hadn't surrendered to the scriptures themselves. I hadn't really gotten to know the love of God or allow the love of Christ to really be in me. And that happened at 29. And I'm, I'm happy to kind of draw the line now, put the mark at March 17th of 1993 when I was 29. And you can do the math then. And, and then see what a Mount Trashmore was over here. But, but yet when you hit 29, sure, it's not like I'm uh, sinless or, or, I mean, yes, I'm from New Jersey. I mean, I've got that, but <laughs> well, I mean, there's certain identities that really do make you feel good, right? Like you're in Christ, you're from New Jersey. Uh, but, but, but then afterwards, it's not like there are these, you know, mountains that occur again. I mean, I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're all going to be kind of wrestling, but there's not going to be an intentionality or repetitiveness or a life in, in that sin any longer because I've come to God and the scriptures are my standard. Jesus's love has now come to my life. It completely transforms everything that I understand and it will be impossible to make sense of things now that I have a, a mindset of belief and a love of, of Christ and a priority for Christ. It'll be impossible. For, for that to be the case. So let me encourage you, if you're here now and you're frustrated by a Mount Trashmore that has come after your understanding of having come to Jesus, my goodness, get with some people here. Now, here's my last point. Then how is it that you can, how to start really following, how to start really coming to Jesus. For starters, one of the things that Jesus says that's helpful is having a John the Baptist in your life. Is there a bright and shining light that God has deemed necessary for you? Is there someone in your neighborhood, someone in your uh, ship, someone in your workplace, someone in your school that God figured, you know what? You need a leg up, young lady, young man. So I'm gonna put this bright and shining light in your path and maybe it will disrupt you enough to maybe hear what it is that he's pointing towards. And of course, no John the Baptist is enough. No matter how bright and shining that John the Baptist, that Paul Versage might, might be, uh, that Lori Clinton might be to you, that's not enough because all that Lori or Paul or JTB are doing is they're pointing 
to Jesus. But that pointing to Jesus is the path of repentance. It's, it's, it's from going our own way to now finally coming to Jesus. I'm, I'm very serious about this. Whether even if you're having a rough run right now in your walk, and you have pretty good certainty that you have come to Jesus. You have spiritual people that have kind of counseled you because despite a rough run, that you know what, you, you really did come to You know what, nonetheless, still get a, get a JTB. Get a bright and shining light. Who is somebody right here now and today that you can kind of get together with and have them sit down with this, with the beautiful thing that, that John the Baptist was enthralled with, with this, the beautiful thing that Lori or Paul as bright and shining lights are so enthralled with, to sit down with this so that you can know the unfettered joy of really having come to Jesus. The inexplicable phenomenon of the love of God really being in your hearts. This is a big deal and an amazing thing. Do not half-step it. And, and when Jesus says, so with JTB, you're, you're bright and shining light, but, but also with the scriptures. And as Jesus says, sure, you study the scriptures, but he's also maybe commanding here, go study the scriptures. Go study the scriptures diligently, for in them you do find eternal life. Not if you do it wrong like they did, but do study the scriptures because in them you find Jesus. Now, let me encourage you. Are you actually studying the scriptures in your walk? As you've now come to Jesus or now you're trying to figure out to come to Jesus, are you studying them? Are you searching for them? Search for it, as the Bible says, like you search for gold. Amen. Amen. Decide this week that you are going to Search the scriptures like you search for gold. A gold miner is persevering. A gold miner knows that just around any bend, under every rock, leaves no stone unturned, literally, that you just might find a treasure that changes your life and changes the generations of your family for many generations to come. That's what we have here. So study, study this. You don't just kind of read or maybe kind of checkbox your, your way through this. But I mean study these things with all that you've got. But then lastly, as you study them, one last thing. All right, come on. Look for Jesus. Amen. It's one thing to study the scriptures and use it to feel good about yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Because he's saying, you know, you study them yourself, Bible experts, Pharisees. But, but why is nothing more than just your own pride coming out of it? If, if you're looking at the scriptures only to say, I know the scriptures, you've missed the mark. If you're looking at the scriptures just to say, well, I see Daniel and I'm living more like Daniel. I see David, I'm living more like David. I see Joseph, I'm living more like Joseph. You still have missed the mark. Because if the Bible is about you, then all it will result in is you either being overwhelmed and crushed by what it is asking of you, or proud and calloused because you think you've actually now attained so much by your own ability to look at a morality tale and rise up to it. Every one of those stories, Jesus says, everything that Moses wrote, it's either about you or it's about Jesus. It's not about you. It's about God searching for you, yes. But how is he going to find you? Ultimately through Jesus. Search the scriptures, search for gold, but search for Jesus. And, and I'm not saying, oh, that cord of red hanging from Rahab's window, maybe that's the red cord of Jesus' blood. I'm not saying look for metaphors. 
I'm saying look for how God can only make sense of this story, of this event, of this occasion in Jesus and be amazed that Jesus even makes that right. The ugliness of the Egyptians in the, in the wilderness can only make sense when you realize that Jesus is going to make that right. The craziness of the book of Judges, when everybody's just doing their own thing, is all going to be redeemed eventually for those that recognize that only in Jesus will all that be made right. And, and likewise, even as you go through the Gospels, to, to even see Jesus and to see that he's going through all of this to eventually be an example of unbelievable love that he wants for you so that that love can really finally grab you, really grab you to, to a place of security, to a place of affirmation, to a place of your own validation, to the place of your own verification. None of you here may ever get verified on Instagram. Sorry for that. Maybe Leo, but that's it. But you know what? Every one of you can certainly be verified and then some in Jesus. Launch, launch that search this week.